0: Do, do do It's too much do, snapping.
1: do 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 How about
0: No, 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 no.
1: Okay. Less less do, of that. do do do
0: do We're recording. Well,
1: good. Whenever you are ready. Never never ready. I don't remember how to do this. It's been a little too long.
0: Help me. It's like riding a bicycle. Just just start talking you talk while you're riding a bicycle that's i did mix my metaphors there Mm -hmm. what i meant by that is just it's you'll it'll come back to you quickly it'll come back to me quickly all right (laughs) Welcome to the Faith Church Peshtigo podcast. You can connect with us online at faithpeshtigo.com. We're also on Facebook. Just search for Faith Church Peshtigo. Today's podcast features a conversation between Pastor Jay and Pastor Robbie talking about the sermon from August 23rd, 2020.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Faith Church podcast. I'm one of your hosts, your long lost host, Jay Williams. Two weeks does feel like a very long time. Has it only been two weeks? Yeah, just two weeks. I'm Robbie Helene, by the way. Glad that you guys are listening. They all know who you are because you've been on it for forever. I feel like I've been gone for a long time. No, nah, just the last two. Wow. Jeff did an excellent job I bet he did for you, though. Yeah. Jeff's good. He's... <laughs> Jeff is good. He's, he doesn't talk over you as much as I do. No. No, that's true. You probably had to say things. I
0: did. I got I, I. got to speak quite a bit, actually. Too much, perhaps.
1: That's what I heard. <laughs> so, um. hey, by the way, I have squirrels in my attic. That's a problem. So, I have bats in my ceiling. Oh, I think I'd rather really bats right now. No, you would not. Really? Why? No. Squirrels are destructive.
0: Listen, man, I have low... I'm like nine feet tall, and I have eight foot ceilings. So, it's... <laughs> the bats are flying like eye level in my bedroom. It's oh, not cool. Like on your ceiling. It's not cool. Like yeah, they they, they, they have they have found they have found a means of entry and so they I will wake up in the middle of the night with Vlad Dracula doing circles around my head oh in my bedroom okay no
1: that's not good i thought you meant like up in the like in the attic and i'm saying well that... i
0: believe that's where they've taken up residence but okay. every now and again an, an errant bat gets gets lost perhaps on his way back to the brood i don't know what do you what do you call a group of bats i'm um, pretty bat- sure it's not brood
1: but no? i don't know maybe i don't know
0: <laughs> the, the bat bunch yeah uh, yeah and and finds his way inside just not not the best
1: okay so that's that's no fun i'll agree with that but we heard scratching in our ceiling that's a little Um, unnerving yeah yeah so here's what it was fun lauren was reading how to deal with or how to find out what kind of pest is in there and how do you know if it's mice or squirrels or a raccoon and um and they said one of the things they said was um Like we didn't hear any scurrying, but they said if during the scratching bang on the ceiling or on the wall, and if it stops, it's most likely mice. If it doesn't, it's probably squirrels. Hmm. And so I waited until we heard the scratching and the chewing, gnawing and whatever. And when I heard it, I took a, like my monopod and just pounded on the ceiling and it did not stop at all. It got louder. They like pound back. Yeah. It was basically that I was like, ah, squirrels. In my expert opinion now. So squirrels are
0: the Squirrel. the angry upstairs apartment yes. neighbor who, when you bang on the ceiling because they're making too much noise, they just stomp. Yeah, they turn the it up to okay. 11.
1: That's what they do. Yeah. <laughs> the mice mice scurry, and they're like, oh, no, they're going to call the cops. The squirrels are like, whatever. What are you going to do? What are you going to do, old man? That's what the squirrels are saying to me and if they could have chucked a not so disrespectful my head. Yeah. It's so disrespectful yeah and i was just telling you yesterday how much lauren loves squirrels and i think this is going to ruin it for her oh no mm-hmm. yeah she's always enjoyed squirrels and everything there have been so many things prairie dogs have been ruined because we live near them chipmunks have been ruined because they ruined our stuff in our garage and now squirrels i can't handle it oh no i don't know what i'm going to do the obnoxious neighbor yeah so if anybody has any advice feel free to you know let me know that we um how how do we how do we deal with squirrels? They just and or bats and or bats yeah and ours could be bats I guess too but um I I said well why not a raccoon and she said no raccoon you hear lumbering. <laughs> I thought, yeah, I definitely don't hear lumbering. So evidently, I raccoons so are much. yeah, absolutely. Right. Squirrels are like in between. You're not gonna hear the scurrying, and you don't hear lumbering. They're like the ninjas of rodents, evidently, because you just hear they're gnawing and chewing. So, oh gosh. Yep, ninja squirrels is what I have in lumbering. my attic. By the way, though, bats are really good because they eat mosquitoes. I know. See, that's the problem.
0: So I don't want, like, you know, some people are like, hey, just grab a tennis racket, which seems a little aggressive. And I'd really like the bat to keep doing his job outside eating all the mosquitoes. Yeah. I just don't want him. flying at your head. Want him. Right. Right. Eye level is, it's crossing some boundaries. Okay. You stay on your side, stay on my side. Everybody's happy.
1: Okay. Well, I'm glad we got, so I think that's it for today all right this is good so thanks for good listening for everyone yeah. yep oh wait we have a sermon we should oh, talk about that we should yeah yeah this was a the worship in the park which didn't feel as different because we've been outside but i don't know i kind of felt like it did it still kind of had a vibe of i think just
0: being in that location being out there yeah it, it did still feel a little different and we had
1: a great turnout which made it fun we did it was it was a great day I and mean, we had. yeah it was it was a great day that's my conclusive statement about the day. It is. And it was good. Yeah. It's biblical. So, yeah. Did you want to talk about the sermon? Did you have any questions, Robbie? Funny you should mention that. Because <laughs> we did. I think we, we actually should. had a question. We had a question that came in. Well, I had a question. I don't remember if it was the same
0: one or not. But it is. it is not often that you catch me off guard in a sermon, Jay. Because we spend a lot of time processing and praying through these things and kind of bouncing ideas off of one another. So uh-huh. I usually feel like... Uh, I've got at least a good idea of, you know, I don't always know your illustrations or whatever, but, um, I feel like I've got a good, a good grasp on where you're heading. And so it's not often that you truly catch me off guard and you did on Sunday. Mm -hmm. You left, you left me befuddled. Um, so you, you made a very bold statement. You, you made the statement that there, there are zero discipleship movements in America. And I, I would argue I was not the only person taken aback by that statement. So because I think it's important to give one another the benefit of the doubt, <laughs> I assumed you did not make that Pull statement that up air. on the fly. Yeah. <laughs> that you Seemed have, like a good idea you have some reading and some study behind that. Uh, and I don't think it's necessarily helpful to like cite all your sources, but I think what would be helpful for me and for our listeners is for you to define discipleship movement.
1: Yes. So, so one point of clarification, no, I did not just make that up out of thin air. I, um, sometimes I forget, I I try to cite my sources and cite specific studies when, when I think it would elicit that reaction. The funny thing for me, though, is because I think because my entire ministry life, I've most of my ministry life, I guess I should say, for the last probably 20 years, I have been very interested in studying disciples making movements. Like I just that's that's what I love and what I've always been trying to um, minister towards. And so in those circles, that's just a given statement. So there are a lot of places where I, I could have said that and everybody would have just nodded. You know, every bit as much as, you know, just there's a number of statements that I could make on a Sunday morning that people would just say, oh, yeah, I don't really need to sure. spend time defending that. Um, so I kind of got caught in that format, like where I just was like, well, yeah, this is obvious. So it would be good because you're not the only one. I also got another question about that of, well, how do, how is that defined? Like, why would you say there is zero? Because certainly you're not saying there are zero. Disciples no. being made in the United States. No, and and that's what a lot of people. So the so the key issue is disciple making movements, and so there have been different definitions over the years about how do you define a movement, and and it's part of the confusion is that in our culture we overuse that term a lot, and so you know lots of churches claim movements of the Spirit or or you know evangelistic movements or anything like that, but. But what is kind of common among even the differing definitions um, is are are a couple of factors. So here I'll just read one of the definitions, and I'll I'll um, just because I think it'll be more succinct than if I try to break that down. But um, one definition um, from discipleship.org, which we're talking—that's a you got to be a pretty early adopter to get that web domain. Yeah, you did. um, You were you were dialing into AOL to get that domain name. To, to snag that one. So, they've been doing this for a long time and studying a lot of these movements and uh their definition is that a disciple making movement is found when everyday disciples are almost all making disciples through at least four generations. So, what do we mean by a generation? We mean that um so if I disciple you, Robbie, then you disciple someone else, that's a second generation. And then if that person you discipled, disciples someone, that's a third generation. And so then another fourth generation. So you think about reproductively, we know like grandma, you know, so you think about spiritual parents, grandparent, great grandparent. Um, it's that idea. So, so not only am I discipling someone and teaching them how to follow Jesus, but I did so in such a way that they then turned around and discipled someone else. And then that happens for four generations. I
0: think that's, that's helpful to differentiate, not generations as in great, great grandfather, no. but
1: I mean, this, this could happen over the course of a year. Yes. Like. Interesting. You should say that that is in the definition. So, oh, so got ahead of us. Uh, yes, you did. So, so at least four generations that they're saying that's the norm. Um, with at least 100 groups in a short period of time, usually three to four years. And there are at least four different separate streams of these groups. So each moving to four generations, resulting in at least 100 groups. So what they're saying is that we would be seeing so much of that, that if we had 100 groups of of disciple-making, of disciple-makers out to four generations in a short time period. And the consistent things are the four generations. So if you look at different definitions, you'll see that four generation thing a lot. That's a big deal because it's it's not just, it, that can't happen in a class, right? Like you just can't, you can't come to a class and I teach you how to read the Bible, how to pray, how to be a church member, and then that's it. Now I have to, I have to do that in such a way that then you are turning around and you're able to teach someone else. That's a movement. And so that four generations, the short time frame, like you were mentioning, the three to four year type situation is all, also pretty consistent. And, um, and then the, the hundred groups is like, that. it's, it's basically what the, the consistent thing is also found in that, that we're almost all are making disciples. So when they're looking at a church, if they're going to say, this is a verifiable disciple making movement, what they would want to see is they would want to be able to walk in on any given Sunday throw a stone and hit a rock a pebble how about a pebble throw a pebble and be able to hit somebody who would immediately be able to say yeah i'm discipling this person who's discipling this person who's discipling this person um and they may not know like that's they may not know who the fourth generation is that happens certainly but it would be it would be consistent it would be the norm it would be massive rapidly reproducing reproducing and that is what is not found in north america okay so with that clarity
0: of definition the follow-up statement or question i think would be that's crazy how is that happening anywhere like where on earth is is something that extraordinary
1: actually taking place Uh, and unfortunately i mean fortunately i guess i should say fortunately several other places Like most other places in the world, basically, every non westernized country. So, basically, North America and Western Europe are pretty void of these things. But, um, China, like all throughout Asia and Southeast Asia, Central Asia, Africa, um, the Middle East, we're seeing that, like, basically, essentially everywhere except for. Western the Western world.
0: Right. Which which should be humbling to hear. It should be humbling to hear that this degree of effective discipleship that is defined as so so normative that you could arguably ask any person in that church and they would be discipling people with this sort of effectiveness is happening in Muslim countries in Hindu countries, and in communist countries. Should yes. should we be alarmed by that? Or should what, we be yeah. encouraged by the fact that, <laughs> well, goodness gracious, if you can do it in a 99% yeah. Muslim country, certainly that should feel very accessible to us.
1: Right, and it, it's it's kind of a both end. but that's where the argument, that's why I was making the argument that the root of that issue is lukewarm Christianity and how lukewarm Christianity is... Is most rampant in the Western Evangelical Church, yep. and and so when they're talking about a disciple making movement, what they would expect to find in a church, I, I said, you, know, you throw a pebble and you find a a disciple maker, but the only exception to that would be a brand new believer who is probably also discipling somebody at that time. Though that's the other interesting point about it. So the only reason the norm would be that that a person would have four generations of disciples. Um, and the only reason they wouldn't is because they've only been a Christian for six months and then they may only have one. Hmm. And so it's 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 not like, oh, most of the people get it and some of the people don't. It's everybody's on the same road. So what you see is... And even that um, person who's only been a Christian for six months, you just said, would likely
0: right. only have one, Right, which means even they have one. Even someone who is six months into the faith, they did not go through a 10-year seminary program they within months are already making disciples
1: yeah and and often weeks i mean so uh yinkai kai the Yinkai kai movement um was was one of su- one such movement where yin kai just started teaching and discipling a, a group of i think there's like 15 of them and then those 15 immediately went out and taught what he just taught them so they were actually making disciples before they became Christians. And then as they became Christians, as they learned, they continued to do what they had been doing, which was just turn around. They learned something. It was so magnificent. They would go out and they would share it with somebody else. And uh, that's that's just such a foreign concept here. And I think what's important to note, and this is what I was trying to make clear in, in the sermon, was that you would think that with all of our resources that we would be the best disciple makers and so you what you find is basically an inverse correlation that the the more resources a country has access to the the fewer disciple making movements they have Mm -hmm. and and that's not i'm not going to go out and say that that's always the case but it is striking that the countries that have that produce the most authors the most famous pastors the biggest churches um actually have the fewest disciple making movements and the churches uh, the the areas that don't have access to any of those things they may only have um one bible and they they don't they don't have access to broadband internet and they don't have access to um all these books and they um or conferences or anything like that that's where you're actually um Seeing the disciple making movements, and uh, I think there's, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, since you asked, one is I think it's a. Uh, uh, see, aren't you glad I'm back on the podcast? It's now? It's good to have you back, buddy. Yeah, I just I asked the question. I right. was tired of talking. Oh, man, I just well, you're getting me on my. This is my wheelhouse. Th- like it this is, is the man. thing this that I get jam. really amped up about. This is and, your jam. Um, so, but the thing is that. One is the distraction. There's, that's one of the reasons that we, we get so distracted by all of these um, different resources. Like we can be a kid in a candy store and we never actually just go and obey what we've read. And so there's a certain simplicity um, that disciple making movements have about them. They are not, uh, when, they, when those are studied, they are not complex. They are not, people aren't going through. Um, a year of theological training and things. It is, they are they are quick, they are rapid, they are um, scripture dependent, Holy Spirit dependent. and um, And so they're just not distracted by all the other things. They just know this is basically, this is my one job. So there's not a million things that I'm volunteering for. I just know that I came to Christ. And so now I'm supposed to do what was just done for me. So that's a major reason, I think.
0: Man, that's so good. It's so good. I mean, there, it, it makes, it's happening in areas where it doesn't make any sense at all to be a lukewarm Christian, right? So I don't hear it's, it's easy. It's very comfortable actually to be lukewarm because there's, as you mentioned, there's so many authors, pastors, podcasts, all the things to listen to all the, all the, um, the things to consume and, and kind of just kind of comfortably live vicariously through that other person's faith. Right? Like right. you think, wow, that's so admirable that they walk in that way. That would be really cool to do that thing that I have no intention to ever try to do. and But I still kind of feel good about it because I feel like, well, I would love to do that too. I agree that that's a really admirable way to live, but I'm not actually willing to make those kind of sacrifices. Um, but But there's still a benefit here to kind of being a cultural Christian, you know, to be... Versus in a Indian village or in Saudi Arabia where there is not only is there no benefit to being a nominal Christian uh, or or a cultural Christian. I mean, your your life is at stake, like your life is in danger in professing Mm -hmm. Christ. So the only reason you would ever do that is because you are radically committed to being a follower of and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Right. Like here, right. we don't have that sense of, well, it's possible that my family is going to burn my house to the ground and chase me into the jungle trying to murder me if they know that I got baptized on Sunday. Like that's not a thing for us. And so it's easy to to just say, well, I'll just take these things that I like and, and ignore these things that I don't. And But as you addressed on Sunday, all that leads to is an inoculation where because i hold to these few intellectual ideals that that qualifies me as a follower of jesus and so my actual action and and choices throughout the day don't really matter versus these people who i mean that's literally their lifeline
1: right and I, and so what i think just to kind of piggyback on that a little bit is so then what happens is normal gets redefined and so when lukewarm christianity you think about in any situation when you walk into a new situation you learn by watching what the people around you do right and everybody does that the very first time you know i have tons of stories about my kids watching how i act about something and You know, how Silas learned to uh, yell at the referees when he was like one and a half, you know, just yelling at the TV when the referee would come on the screen and realizing, oh, he's he's learning from me. When you go um, when you go hunting for the first time or when you go, um, you know, or fishing or to a football game or you, you know, go, you know, whatever you do. You learn by watching what everybody else does there. If everybody there is getting up at 4 a.m. to go do this thing or 3.30, then that's what you do, and you learn that that's how you do that. And so to your point that if you are in India or in Malaysia or some persecuted nation, if the only people who are claiming to be Christian are the ones that we would consider to be just completely sold-out-on-fire Christians, well, when you come to Christ, that's who you're learning from. Right. That's the only thing that makes sense because that's that's what you do. That's normal. That's normal. And and what unfortunately what we have um, is evangelical Christianity. The reason why it's such a a hotbed for oh, that's kind of a, that mixing metaphor is a hotbed for right. lukewarmness. Is that um, <laughs> a breeding ground <laughs> a for lukewarmness? Warming pad right. For lukewarmness is is that. Um, is that because it just it reproduces itself because now if someone comes into a a standard evangelical church they may hear a very biblical message but if they're sitting around people who have a very lukewarm experience they will learn oh that's that's what you do and you know there used to be i think a lot of people are familiar with the 80 20 principle it's like common principle in the church uh, it's been used for a long time where the idea is that 20% of the people do 80% of the work and it's very it just always rings very Midwest to me of like well why am I doing all the work like right. why, everybody's <laughs> going to carry their own weight but there's this idea that in most churches the the sentiment is just that it's a smaller percentage whether it's 10% 20% whatever let's say it's 20% that 20% are are really committed they're very active and volunteering serving giving making disciples doing all that but that 80% are just more observers and they just kind of they go and they they listen and they they'll attend things but they they're just they're not they're not as committed well if that's the case on any given sunday you have an 80% chance a new person that comes in has an 80% chance of sitting near somebody that that is more lukewarm and if that's the case, that is what will be reproduced. And then when you take out of those 20% that you realize, well, not all those 20% are sitting in there because they're probably serving in different areas of the church. Well, right. now the percentage jumps even more. You might have a 90% chance of going into a church that has you know, great preaching, great music, great theology, um, but a new person is coming in and they are going to learn from the people around them. And that's how it grows so much and that's what we're talking about with herd immunity and why it's such a dangerous thing and why we do need to take notice it's not something that gets fixed by just saying oh we should stop doing that um, because we're not really set up for that
0: well and i i think it's so essential for us to be aware of that and to have some practical steps of how to move out of that because we can't underestimate the negative effect that that has yeah on Ministry and our neighbors, right? Because I regularly have conversations. Just recently, had a conversation, in fact, with someone who's saying they're well, well, they want to be, you know, in response to your sermon. They they would like to be hot, but they don't even know what that looks like because their only experience uh, as somebody who is searching and somebody who really wants to. To, who is who is interested but is doesn't doesn't feel confident in in walking all in in christianity is because their experience is is that christianity is so powerless right that the people that they encounter that every christian that they know in their lives is filled with all of the exact same fear anger anxiety worry materialism lack of commitment lack of compassion uh, as any of their non-christian neighbors and so they look at that and they go well then what's the point Like, if this thing is so powerless that it that it can't even you know free me of a little bit of anxiety and and oftentimes this is coming from an honest place of look i don't expect perfection but you're telling me this offers zero hope of any sort of life transformation whatsoever like mm-hmm. what on earth like i might as well just go go do crossfit or something because at least then i'll get in shape and you know the people are friendly like and that's what that's what oftentimes the lost world is left with because their experience is with such a powerless christianity that that they're not nobody is attracted to lukewarmness right Right? that doesn't that doesn't dazzle that doesn't astound anybody nobody walks in and goes oh my goodness i can't believe
1: how mundane everything is here it's incredible so no, it's, it's palatable That's the thing <laughs> right. And that's what we've gotten into Is that I want to figure out How do I, how do I create a church experience That my neighbor would feel comfortable coming to that, that has driven the American church for so long How do we make a service Create programs and a service That will make it so the person who says I probably should be in church And I'll go there Because at least I get something out of it Or you know I kind of like how they do this It's palatable that's not the same thing as compelling. And we have to be willing to, to kind of, I guess, sacrifice being palatable to be compelling. Does that make sense?
0: It does, because if I'm, if I'm not offering something that is transcendent, right. if I'm not offering something that is bigger than anything that the world has to offer, then it will feel less than what the world has to offer.
1: Because it is less, it it, it I mean, really it's it really is but. less. It's and so yeah, we have to. I, I think one of the ways that we have to do that is we have to st- start obviously with our own hearts. Like I have to stop accepting lukewarmness in my own heart and and realize how desensitized to it I've become because I have been. I mean, when I've and I know you've experienced this overseas, Robbie, and I have where you um, and sometimes it's not even overseas. I I think every. Most of the people, say in our church, for example, know what it's like to be around a brand new believer and to say, wow, that's their energy and their passion for the gospel and their hunger is really convicting. I've heard that from many people over my time here and certainly, you know, in the in the past, where people will say, Wow, being around a new believer, that that sparks something in me. Well, what it's sparking is there it's a glimpse of like this is what it's supposed to be. And you're probably remembering there was a point where you also, you know, felt that, but we become so desensitized. We, we think that that's not normal and we've redefined that. And so we have to start by just refusing to, to change the definition of what Christianity actually is. Right. We can even think that's life. a bad thing, right? I've, yeah. I've,
0: I've heard people encourage passionate new believers to calm down, mm-hmm. right? To not be so extreme, which is right. incredibly discouraging and disheartening and confusing, when what they're doing is naively following Jesus' commands and doing what He's asking them to do, and then and then believers, ostensibly around them, are saying, "Stop doing what Jesus commanded you to do. That's too extreme. Right. Um, you know, don't worry. Over time, you'll mellow out and you'll become normal again." Instead of feeling encouraged by and energized by those fresh eyes, that fresh excitement, that fresh indwelling of the spirit that creates that excitement. And and rather than squashing that, because I don't feel like I have that, like feed off of that a little bit, right? Like I get, I love getting to do Bible studies with new believers because it opens scripture to my eyes in new ways as I'm getting to a little glimpse of seeing it through their eyes. And it's super encouraging. It helps reignite my love of scripture. And so, I, I mean, to ra- rather than trying to help them be more like me in all the worst ways, to to receive that little bit of conviction and go, oh man, why am I not pas- as passionate as that? And, and going, well, but I want to be, because that's a really beautiful thing. And that's exactly what our Heavenly Father wants for us. He wants us to delight in Him and delight in what He's called us to. Um, so one, one last question, Jay, if, if I'm listening to this and I'm hearing this and I'm going, man, I, I don't want to be like that. Like I see areas and evidence in my life of where I, I am acting Luke in a lukewarm way that I'm not, I'm certainly not hot. Um, and, and, and I want to do something about that. Do you have a, a practical step or a couple steps? What would you encourage us to do to, to take steps out of lukewarmness?
1: Obey the spirit. I I really I'm I'm hesitating to to give too much other than that because I was just thinking I think one of one of the reasons why churches especially are so slow to try to address this. And it's not it's not just here. It's it's every church I've worked with, been a part of, planted, everything. The reason why we're so slow is um, we know that there's been transformation. So again, it, it bears repeating that just the statement that there are no discipleship-making movements in this country doesn't mean there aren't disciples being made in this country. It doesn't mean that people haven't been transformed by the gospel and that there aren't people out there trying to do the work of the ministry. We, we have people in our church who are sold out to making disciples and, and sharing the gospel. And Absolutely. So it's, it's not saying that. But what it is saying is that our culture as a whole is not oriented. I think even those people who maybe are listening and saying, I've been devoted my life to that, I think that even they would say, but I, I don't know that I would classify that as the norm. And, and right. that's important. And so one of the steps we can take in ministry is to credit the right things. So for example, I've, I've heard so many people say when they're talking about their conversion and genuine conversion experiences, they will credit a, a, a speaker, a book, a person, a whatever the case is. And the problem is that however you see that you were transformed, that's what you're going to try to reproduce in somebody else. Yeah. So if you come to a service and by the grace of God um, are transformed, that the Holy Spirit w- awakens you during a sermon that I'm preaching... If you walk away from that saying, oh, that was amazing. I need to get my friend to come and hear Jay preach. Hmm. That is wrong. Mm -hmm. It's just flat out wrong. What you need is your friend. What your friend needs is the same thing that you needed that you got, which was the Holy Spirit speaking to you and wakening your heart. It's not the sermon. It's not the preacher. It's not the Bible study. It's not the curriculum. It's not the book. It's not the class. It's not the program. It's not any of those things. It is the same thing that has been transforming lives since the beginning. It is the the proclaiming of the good news and the Holy Spirit awakening a dead heart to hear that as good news. That's, that's what it is. And so if we can credit that and start with that in our own lives and to maybe even take an evaluation and take inventory of our own lives and what how we have grown and see maybe where have i been crediting programs or things or structures when really what i should be crediting is the holy spirit the work of the holy spirit through god's revealed word his power in me that's what i need to be crediting and yes we set up systems and and all that stuff to to help facilitate that but that is an important differentiation because now i'm not thinking like okay what's the program what's the book what's the study that will that will do this i'm also not thinking well my neighbor needs jesus so therefore i have to get them to come to church because that's what happened to me we're, we're actually thinking much more basic level and much more powerful closer to the source of saying okay i want to i want to read the bible with them because i know that that they'll read this and that if the holy Spirit would, would give them eyes to see, they will see wondrous things here. And so I, I'm praying for them, I'm reading to them. So I know it's not really answering your question, but I was just thinking about all the, sometimes the, um, and I feel defensive sometimes whenever these kinds of things come up because I'm thinking I've devoted my life to trying to make disciples. And then you read something like that. I'm not immune to feeling defensive about that. Sure. I'm not immune to feeling like, well, man, what have I been doing for the last 20 years? But I also... I believe what God says is true, and I want what He says we can have enough that I'll I'll set those other things aside, and and just say, okay, God, I want to believe what you have for me. So, so I guess that that was a ministry level answer. The the personal answer, just in ten seconds, would be just believe God, hmm. believe what He says, read the Bible, and believe that that stuff is actually available to you, and then and then act in that obedience, um, faithful obedience, every moment so share the gospel when you feel compelled be forward with somebody ask somebody to read the bible with them see so, um introduce people to that and and just start doing those things and as you start being obedient then then you'll see that power start to veil, unveil itself to you and then and then all of a sudden lukewarm seems pretty silly hmm.
0: right right
1: that was more than ten seconds. <laughs> it
0: it seemed it it was. That's okay. Uh, it's right. It's it seems silly. It seems uh, we realize how dissatisfying it has actually been
1: um, once once you experience what what is actually available to us. And That's it good, is available to everyone. I just can't stress that enough. Like I I hope that people understand that the reason why they can say this about disciple making movements, the Yinkai movement, they were all these were rural farmers in China that had basically no education. I mean, you would say likely 4th 5th grade maybe education. And and they're seeing a huge disciple making movement. So it doesn't matter what your pedigree is or your social skills or anything like that. This is this is the mission that God has given all of us and and it's the work he has in his kindness has let us experience the joy of participating with him in like that's what we miss on this. Is it's not these marching orders. That like oh, I got to go share the gospel. I got to go disciple. I guess that's another thing I got to do. It's the thing, and it's a joy that he lets us participate with him in it. So, amen to that. Sorry, Dude, I, I just go on forever. A, we have like part two, part three, whatever.
0: I know, man. Dude, that's a that's a great way, and I, I think we should. I think this is a conversation we're gonna we're gonna continue to explore and continue yeah. to circle back to because um, that that is the great commission go and make disciples. So if if we look at ourselves and we say, well, if that's the definition of making disciples, who on earth is supposed to do that? Well, per the Great Commission, every one of us. So we got to figure out how to get there. So I think this is an ongoing conversation. I think this is a really great start. So thanks, thanks for that. Uh, and thank you, church, for listening. If you have... Uh, any more questions? We love getting questions and, and having an opportunity to unpack them a little bit more here. So please be sure to email those to us, or you can even write them on a communication card if you're here, or the online communication card if you're tuning in um, on the uh, on the stream on Sunday mornings. Um, but uh, we're just we're grateful for the opportunity to be able to to love, teach, and disciple you, church.